Well, hey, listeners, this is Kim Honeycutt. Thank you for being my friend. You might be the only friend that I have. How about that? So you are needed. You are wanted. In the, oh, my goodness, my co-host LJ is having a conniption. <laughs> I was like, what? Because yeah, I said <laughs> that. Who are we sitting around the table <laughs> looking at her, and she's like, I don't have friends. Okay. I showered today. Maybe, I good. Maybe the listeners are my new friends. I don't know. Oh, whatever. Let's just go with this. Okay. Either way, <laughs> listeners, we're so glad. There are so many podcasts out there, and you're taking a second out of your busy day to be a part of ICU Talks podcast, Hear Voices. And so, as you know, I've got some sidekicks with me today. They're amazing people, so I'm going to let them introduce themselves. LJ, will you start for us? Hey, everybody. This is LJ. Great having you. Well, I guess you guys aren't here. They're glad here. you're listening, listening to us. They're listening. <laughs> They're here. They're here. And the other voice you heard was Emily Ford. Hi, Emily. Hi, I'm Emily Ford. I am Director of Dysfunctional Operations at ICU, ICU Talks. She is. It's very she dysfunctional. She said that so seriously. But, yes. it's, but it's I've true. signed stuff that way. Yeah. When we're, that's it, what we do. I put the signature on the email that way when it's between us. Mm-hmm. It's important <laughs> people's expectations be accurate with us. They need to know the And truth. that's accurate. Yes. That is yes. where good. we are. But we have a guest today who might not be as dysfunctional as we are i don't know jury might be a little bit out but she was our 10 minute speaker for the month of august our topic was approval addiction and she did an amazing job Rhonda, ron marie will you introduce yourself hey i'm ron marie and i'm bloom and i feel like i must be in the perfect place among you right. <laughs> good <laughs> right. good right. i'm very dysfunctional yes well then you're in the right place That's and right. your shirt says you and so mm-hmm. i'm all about that yoli oh yoli oh. Are you serious? what does that mean that's yoli, really cool yoli is the aztec word for to live oh, oh wow very cool writing wow. that one down that's yeah. amazing okay. i just learned something everyone yeah mm-hmm. i publicly just learned something yeah How about I think that we all did yeah, yeah. So, so will you take a second and just give, because, you know, some people listening right now haven't had a chance to go on YouTube to our sure. channel and, and watch your talk, or they might have not heard the previous podcast of this, which was your 10-minute talk. Can you give them a summary? Absolutely. So, approval addiction. And for me, you know, it stems from perfectionism. Yes. So, you know, from a very early age in life, um, I was the only child from two parents, and I had half-brothers and sisters on both sides. And I always heard, well, you go ask. You're the perfect one. Wow. No, you go do it. Uh You're the perfect one. Oh, you don't get spanked. You're the perfect one. Oh, they love you more because you're the perfect one. And so I can remember those things from the time I was a er, young girl. And I I think I just strived my whole life to do everything perfect. And then when I didn't, I failed and felt shamed. Right. And, um, you know, that led to codependency and depression and you know, thoughts of suicide and, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah. So perfectionism for me is definitely an addiction, and I've had to work hard to overcome that and to, you know, lean on the Lord for who I really am. Um, and it wasn't until I created, you know, stepped into that relationship with him that right. I became comfortable with Ron Marie and who she is. Right, yeah. And, um, you know, not worrying about, what everybody else does. And right. I and I think that for me, a lot of people we talked about, and I know you have, um, you know, on social media, we've brought up the subject of people pleasing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And for me, I do the opposite. So I revert. I, I, I self-preserve. I isolate out of fear of rejection. Right. So instead mm-hmm. of going out and doing things for people and trying to get accepted that way, I just cower. Right. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I was just thinking like the visual of you being in a house, being so young and siblings 
-hmm. Banding together means they get a connection. If it's a pseudo connection, they'll feel connected to each other, Mm -hmm. calling you the perfect one, and you are completely ostracized. Yes. So then your role, your companion becomes perfectionism. Yeah. That becomes your sibling, your best friend. It becomes your false identity. But you you can't, I can't imagine having a clue how devastating that was at that age. Yeah. Yeah, well, I never knew it. You know, when that came about, um, of course, I went through a lot of therapy because I have a lot of grief and loss in my background as well. So that led me to therapy initially, but then this other stuff came out. But it was when I wrote the book and I started talking about my childhood and those memories in my subconscious came out on paper mm-hmm. that I realized, mm. wow, there's something here. And, you know, I always blamed my perfectionism on the fact that my dad was a Marine through and through. Right. And so I also grew up in a Marine household, and we had a certain way of doing everything. Oh, I bet. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't leave spots on the kitchen faucet. And when you made your bed, you folded the corners a military way and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth. Um, Not He never did it in a demeaning or belittling or a harmful way. He was always loving and patient about it. But there was still that expectation, right, was there. So I coupled that. So the, the stuff with my siblings was the first mental building blocks. And then, hmm. you know, on, with my dad, I think I just strive to be perfect and always meet that expectation. And it was, it was hard. Wow. Was hard. Well, that's what and I want to ask is, you know, when you think about perfect, I, I want to be perfect. So to say that perfectionism is bad because you, you may be going to extreme. How did you start as a child? Obviously, your siblings are saying you're perfect. What did you do for them to identify you that way? You know, what what did you, what do you remember why they why they think that way? Let me ask it that way. Well, my thought of that as a child, I probably didn't have one, but now and my you know at my age and looking back, I think it was because I was the only child for my mom and dad. Okay. And so my mom loved my father very much, and it was very evident. And so they saw me as this golden child, if you will, because I was the only one by them. So I was an only one. Okay. And though we were never allowed, terms in our house like um, half-sister or half was never allowed. It was never never really spoken about, but Mm -hmm. that that was never tolerated, but it was never brought up either. But, you know, so some of my early memories of, like, our Christmas morning, like at 4 a.m., my mom and dad probably just went to bed. Our Christmas, we always had big Christmases. And I just remember them, I remember being half asleep in my jammies and them pushing me towards mom and dad's bedroom door going, you've got to be the one that wakes them up because (laughs) we want to open presents. Santa came, but you won't get in trouble. They won't tell you, no, you're the perfect one. Wow. You know, they Mm, love you more. You're the perfect one. That's interesting. I wonder if they assigned you that role. Were you the youngest? I yes. was. I'm the youngest okay. of eight. Okay. So, yeah. I'm wondering if part of that was just... Yeah. It was, sounds fear-based on their part. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're... The only yeah. way to fit in yeah. is to be the one who walks in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds very much... The, the other thing I was hearing in that is it sounds like almost an undercurrent of other. Where they're like, you, you go do it, you do this, where you were the only one. Like, well, we're the group that's from mom's side. We're mm-hmm. the group that's from dad's side. Or we're, we're in this group together. But, but it's, a, it's a very undercurrent <laughs> right. of, like, your other. Yeah. Right, you're not, right. you're right. not a part of these, these, band, you know, these yeah. groups that we have. You're other over yeah. here. And, you know, I remember wanting, again, didn't think about this growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't even think about it as a teenager when it came to home. But... 
I really did spend a lot of time trying to be accepted. I was the yeah. one that wanted to be accepted right. into okay. that group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, I have a brother who absolutely despises me. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, I heard things as I was growing up, and I still hear it from him. Um, he still comes out with this, but your mom's favorite. Hmm. You know, hmm. your mom's right. favorite. Um, she loves you more than any of the rest of us, which right. isn't true. But I mean, you can hear the, the emotional regression. Like, yeah. there's mm-hmm. no never developed an adult to adult relationship. Yeah. He's saying the same things that were said when you were a right. child. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you, well, you might be ready to, mm-hmm. to blossom and go into the, a new identity, who you yeah. really are. He, he's somewhere else. Well, so, you have to take care of yourself. Yes. Well, I've, you know, also learned very strong boundaries. Yeah. And self-care mm. and self-love Amen. for myself. Yes. So boundaries are a huge part of my world. Yeah. I try not to let my boundaries become overbearing mm. to living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So because I think you can take boundaries to the extreme to right. where you are. Because I isolate, mm. like I said, mm-hmm. and self-preserve. So I have to make sure that I keep my boundaries in check so that I'm not shutting out the world as a boundary. So they don't, because mm-hmm. then they stop being a boundary, they're a wall. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yes, correct. Right. Yeah. So, but I have set boundaries with him that I no longer yeah. let him make me feel that Good way. For you. That's mm-hmm. powerful. And, um, powerful. Yeah, and yeah. I've, I've had to cut that relationship off in mm-hmm. order to. Mm-hmm. That's right. To you know, it's toxic. Move on. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. toxic. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and just for everyone to understand the the listeners to understand the depth, the serious nature of perfectionism, that rebellion and perfectionism are the same. That rebellion, if you see someone who's intoxicated, you see someone who is doing drugs, you see someone doing porn, sexual addiction, like you understand that's rebellion, that they are going against God, they're going against themselves, they are not themselves. Perfectionism is a rebellion against God as well. Yes. Because you can't connect to him if you're trying to to be him, right? If there's that's a savior right. complex or something else is happening. And constantly right? earning yes. everything and it's ne- right. in your head is never good enough. Right. And no, I both are cover-ups. Yes. Both are cover-ups yes. of who you really are. Right. That you, you don't know in that moment be who you are. Right? You can't possibly yes. be enough. It yes. can't possibly, your best effort yes. can't be enough. No. And I, you know, I'm going to say this because I think it's important and I'm not out to knock down any, try to knock down any doors, but I was born and raised Irish Catholic in Chicago. Right. So I went to the Catholic Church and there was always something missing in me there I always felt like I had a faith and a in a in a draw and a calling towards God, but I never I always felt like I wasn't good enough for him either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And right. I'm not blaming that on the Catholic Church, but what I'm saying is that there was something that I was searching for and seeking for that I wasn't I couldn't find. I couldn't right. get it. And I used to sit I talk about this in my book. I, I used to sit, go to church regularly go to mass and I would sit long after mass ended and I would just sit there because I could feel his presence there and there was a peace in me when I was there the problem was is by the time my feet hit the parking lot it was gone right Mm -hmm. and so the emptiness was back yeah and so I spent all these years searching and seeking and searching and seeking and um, I talked about it the other night at ICU talks it was that October day where I found myself on the knee on my knees mm. and I reached for him right. and you know I feel like he took me by the hand and I rose up to meet him and that mm. was the beginning of that relationship yeah. that relationship that I spent all that time sitting in the pew or on my knees looking for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
happened that wow. day yeah. outside of a church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. So for the first then, time. Yeah. Good yeah. point. Yeah. Right. And right. so Good then I, I finally felt like I don't have to be perfect. There's only one perfect person that walked on the face of this mm-hmm. earth, and that was Jesus Christ. That's and right. He mm-hmm. died for me, so I didn't have to be. So you mm-hmm. didn't have to be perfect. That's right. right. You know? So where's so. that? Help me with the timeline. That October day where you're you are considering yeah. ending your life, and, mm-hmm. and hand, God puts His hand on you. Because I know you had a very tumultuous, toxic marriage. I did. Where and I also know that your your ex husband passed away. Yes, he was right? killed in a motorcycle accident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where's the timeline? Because I know that's so yeah. much a part of your story and pain. Where where are we with reaching your hand for God with that? Um, so Greg and I were married for 20 years. Um, I met him um, the end of my senior year in high school. Mm. Uh, and the, the relationship was toxic from the beginning. Greg was addicted to drugs. Um, he had a very broken soul, didn't have God in his life, um, and had a backstory. But at that point, codependency had already taken in. So I missed all the red flags. Right. Right. I mm-hmm. wanted to fix him and be the one right. that made it perfect. Right. And so that cycle continued. Which is the same thing as people pleasing. You're trying to yes. please just him. Yeah, just him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of infidelity. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of shame for me because I didn't understand why I couldn't be good enough. Why wow. wasn't I a good mm-hmm. enough wife? Right. Wow. You know, right. when, with every each affair, I was like, what's wrong with me? Wow. Mm-hmm. And so I started to own his bad behavior. And so I had to break the cycle of codependency, mm. and I sought help, and I did a lot of therapy, and I did Melanie Beatty's Codependent No More 12-step right. program. Oh, that's right. That's, that's right. So language of letting go is great for me. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, so fast forward, it took me 20 years, and it was a January day, and he came with his bolstering anger at me at 6 o'clock in the morning and cussing and swearing at me. And my coffee cup was still empty. <laughs> it was probably, thank God, and I don't know how I kept from shattering the cup and, br- and cutting myself to death, but... When he came screaming at me, I just slammed the cup down and turned around and said, you have just yelled and screamed and called me names for the last time in my life. Wow, Pack your stuff powerful. and get out. Wow, what, wow, what was that powerful. turning point? Why that moment? Um, you know, I always asked mom that and said, what is wrong with me that I take him back over and over and over again when I know what the outcome is? I'm, I was the you know, poster child for insanity. And she used to say, you know what? When, you, when it gets up past your nose, and you can no longer breathe, mm-hmm. you've hit your tolerance and you'll get out. Mm-hmm. And I used to cry and say, when am I going to know when that is? And she right. said, oh, honey, you'll just know. My no was that morning. Right. Okay. Right. It just, I didn't think about it. It was an instant reaction. It just right. came. So fast forward, I, I he did move out. Um, and we separated. And we had been separated for 10 months. It was a struggle. Um, he continued to try to harm me. And hurt me, um, and he was killed on his motorcycle a Tuesday morning. Mm. Wow! And so my life then turned into another spin. Yeah. Um, I have three boys: uh, Christopher, Cameron, and Cody. They are now thirty-five, <laughs> three thirty, <C's>. three C's. <laughs> yeah. Great, I love it. <laughs> and twenty-seven, tw- going to be twenty-seven. But oh yeah, I mean, I don't know why I ever did that to myself either. By the way, three did C's. Did you do the same? Um, Initial so that you can monogram the clothes and pass it down to them. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a, so smart. That's, that's a southern thing. That is a that's southern thing. Oh, yes. I was still yes. a Yankee at that point, so I so didn't, you know didn't know. You didn't know. 
I wish I would have because that is brilliant. We monogram things here. Everything. Cars, yeah. nice. Yetis, everything. Nice. Children yeah. are mo- mo- monogrammed. Mm-hmm. Yes. I missed that trick. No, they all <laughs> have different <laughs> middle initials, unfortunately. But I always use CF times three because it's, oh, it's you know, cute. Oh, yeah. 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 All have cute. the first initial. But anyway, I just said, hey, you guys can get a dog, but you can name it whatever you want, but don't have it start with a C because I'll be calling you the dog's name. (laughs) 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 Lucas Skywalker, the yellow lab was born. (laughs) Lucas Skywalker. That's awesome. That's awesome. May the force be with you. Yes. So um, I uh, ended up relocating to North Carolina. So I did a crazy thing, right? So when I separated from Greg, I took the two youngest boys because the oldest, my oldest son was going in the Marine Corps. And we came to North Carolina. I put that separation there. And I was down here with Cameron and Cody when Greg was killed. Mm. And um, mm. so I flew back to Chicago, um, took care of what I needed to take care of, and, and laid him to rest, sold our house, wow. closed his business, and I was back in Carolina in seven weeks. Don't ask me how I did that. I do oh, not know. Oh, God. So you it's guys had God. been separated for 10 months, 10 months and then yeah. he was killed on a motorcycle accident. Yes. So you, weren't, you, you were still going through that separation period. I, I couldn't get him to show up for court. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. wow. that was an, uh, that it mm-hmm. was a way of getting It's part of narcissism. Yeah. 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 And yeah. control. Then yeah. he's well, still the controlling. Thing narcissists you do didn't have is closure. Not... Sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, you didn't have closure. You know, I was just yeah. kind of thinking through going through yeah. a similar situation. Mm-hmm. Um but <laughs> having that closure did a lot of, of great things. I can't imagine yeah. the pain not having the chance to do that ever. Yeah. Right. And the anger came. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because uh the boys were you know, hurting and in incredible pain. And so then I became angry at him for leaving because he was, he had hurt my children again. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like a last one final slap in the face kind of thing right. for me. Right. Um, so I had to work through all that. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was multiple deaths after that. I lost two of my siblings unexpectedly. Yeah. Wow. Um, a couple of my friends, really close friends, um, one died unexpectedly, and then I lost her a year and a half later. Mm-hmm. So just multiple losses, and um, y- you know, then by 2013, I mean, this, Greg died in 04. So by 2013, um, I was just at the end. Yeah, the pain, the grief had I set in. Yeah, that's a lot. So um, much grief. Yeah, I was like, yeah, and that's probably like you're barely getting. Not that it ever ends, but you're barely getting to a functional place from the one loss before another right. comes and another. And it just right. seems just piling on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every time I got another phone call, I was like, here we go. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I might not even have been on my knees yet. And right. another one came because mm-hmm. it happened all within a short. Because so I lost the, my last loss was, the, was in 2012. Mm. So I had all of those losses, right. um, at, you know, in a short period of time. So you just kind of numb going through the motions, you know. And I was trying to keep the kids above heads above water. Yeah. And Chris went on to California to the Marine Corps, and <laughs> you know there was a lot of other things that happened in the middle. But um, for me, I also suffered with the perfectionism through all of that. Mm-hmm. Because That's what I was going to ask. Is, so what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? It looks like, um, of course, the depression and isolation set in because. My kids were in a lot of pain and really struggling, and I felt like a failure because why couldn't I get this right? Like, Mm. why couldn't I help them get through this, Mm. maybe in my own perfect way, right? right? Well, there's nothing perfect about grief. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's their grief. And it's their grief. Yeah. Right. It's not yours. Right. Y'all can 
share it, but mm-hmm. it's still yeah. it's still something you really do a lot alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and I made a lot of mistakes, and so I blamed myself for that. And maybe I made it worse on them because I didn't do this perfect, mm. or maybe you know. Yeah. So the power of blame is just amazing. The power right? mm-hmm. oh, yeah. awful. And you know, in the meantime, five years after Greg um, died, I found myself in another harmful relationship, a toxic relationship with another narcissist. Right. <laughs> a different kind. No anger in that, but he was a highly functioning alcoholic, and um, he had a kind way of beating me down. Mm. Instead of using it's ugly more words, it's more manipulative. Mm. Yeah, mm. yes, it's a yes. special breed. It's yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. it is no less, you know, harmful. Right. Um, but right. so it was um, in the midst of that that mm. I found myself in a hallway right. that morning. Um, I see. So I w- had that coupled with everything else from the past. Right. And uh, I was just really at the end i bet i was at yeah. the end mm-hmm. yeah and, and a necessary end yeah a necessary mm-hmm. end yeah. yeah so also i want our listeners to know that and everyone at this table i know them well enough to know they they believe and they they stand beside me in what i'm about to say is that if you're in an abusive marriage boss parent whatever it is that the idea, particularly though if it's a marriage, the idea of just up and leaving is just not, it's just not simple. You're talking finances. You're talking mm-hmm. that narcissists pick really good, kind-hearted empaths. And that so what, if you're a sensitive person, what you think initially is what can I do to make this better, knowing that they're never going to have the same thought. Mm-hmm. The narcissist is never going to think, what can I do to make this better? They will gaslight you. They will hurt you. They will do financial abuse. So much happens, and you're so deep in before you even realize you're in something that someone's saying to a domestic violence, and that includes emotional abuse person, why don't you just leave? Why don't you leave the job you don't like? We can't even do that, right? Mm-hmm. There's, no, that's like, right. it's thick. It's just give women, and, and any man that's in this too, because it does happen to men, it's just, just not as much, obviously. Mm-hmm. Please, people need empathy and compassion and, like, the words of your mom saying, hey, I'm right here. When you get to where you need to get to, I'm going to still be here for you. It's just really, really complex. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think her analogy is beautiful and so spot on when you're saying it has to get up past your nose where you can't breathe. Right. Because you recognize it when it's at your knees and even at your waist. You're like, this is gross. What am I in? Right. <laughs> Why am I? D-? But it's not. But it's not that terrifying. I can't breathe. I have to do something now. Right. Yeah. And you just kind of struggle and slog through it. Until you, whatever point that is for you. And right. like you're saying, Kim, it's different for everyone. It is. But I love that analogy because yeah, you do great. start to notice at different times where you're like, this is not right. right. Mm-hmm. But it's not enough to make you leave until right. you get to your point. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, he used to tell me, you won't survive without me. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Right. No. And you believe and that. Yeah. You believe it. And just know, no one yeah. would say that unless they're a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one would ever, like, that's their, that's their need. And, and not that your siblings meant to, but there is a setup. There's a conditioning happening in your heart. And mm-hmm. what you believe is that you're the one that had the power. I can get mom and dad up for the whole family. Mm-hmm. So when your husband has an affair, you're thinking, I have the power to stop his adultery. Absolutely. Never right. true. Mm-hmm. Never right. true, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know that if we're struggling with subconscious beliefs mm-hmm. that are very limiting. Mm-hmm. You right. know, it's amazing. Um, and a lot of people 
don't think about this. And of course, I, you know, go on, and I did EMDR therapy, by yeah, the way, with sure. Wendy. And um, that was life changing for me. A mm -hmm. lot of people don't know what that is. Yeah. Do you want to tell them? I don't know what to? it is. I don't yeah. know either. I'll let you explain it. Okay. <laughs> so EMDR is this. Uh, this eye movement desensitization process is a reprocessing of your trauma and it is literally you're either watching a light or someone's fingers going back and forth it's a bilateral stimulation and so what they found is that with bilateral stimulation that if you think about your trauma when that's happening like in and really if you watch someone talk about trauma their eyes go back and forth they're processing their trauma and so if that's done a extended period of time that, that can be a reprocessing so the trauma no longer has to continue to be relived. Like you re-experience in a way that you stop have to relive in it. It is so effective that they have found, like with rape victims, before they go to trial, if they do EMDR, they will appear apathetic on the stand because they have come to peace mm -hmm. That's with true. what happened to their bodies and what happened to their lives. And so then the jury misperceives that. It's because they spent a year while they were waiting to get there in therapy and they resolved it because they needed to. Right. Not that you ever completely resolve it. Please don't mishear me. So EMDR is very, very effective. I'm certified in it. I don't do it anymore because, honestly, it bores me. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Just a light it back does. and forth. Yeah. Like I'm going, now yeah. what do you yeah. see? What's yeah. happening? <laughs> don't kick the dog. Don't kick. Go to your safe place. Don't kick the dog. Like, I just got bored. I'm sorry. But it's oh, very cool. effective, but it You're bores so me. Yeah. And, so you. If, <laughs> yeah. It is so you. But you know what? It was highly effective for me because I spent years um, reliving the day that Greg died, mm -hmm. oh. the funeral, the, yeah. my kids, dressing them, yeah. walking them in to see him for the first time, oh, them wow. kissing him, oh. just picking out the casket, right. all of this stuff. And, it, and I didn't sleep for years. And right. then I got addicted to sleeping pills, right. which is, you know, you, you know, right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the EMDR therapy was totally changing for me. It was hard work. Yes. Because, yes. you know, sometimes I went three times a week and I would come home from Wendy's. I would be in bed by six o'clock. Yeah, that's Because I felt like Tired. I got ran yeah. over by a train. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, but I, so we reprocessed a lot of stuff and we went back to my childhood and did things and yeah. we, it, because it's crazy how I thought that I was going in there to get over the grief thing, yeah. but how all this other stuff um, evolved and came out of it. So it was right. a real healing time for me. Yes. Um, but I also learned self-acceptance, self-love, what self-care looked like. Yeah. Um, and so I started practicing that. I got out of that second toxic mm. relationship um, got out into a little home by myself and just loved it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, so nothing felt better than pulling up in my own driveway after work and going in um, and seeing my cat that my kid stole from him because he wouldn't let me take him. So there's a whole I other story. So we had a cat napping. So my kid said to me great. something about, we had a big birthday birthday party, and my boy said to me something about the cat, and I said, well, they you know, he wouldn't let me take the cat and he hated cats. So he, you know, it was this thing. He didn't want the cat. He just didn't want me to have the cat. Exactly. So Christopher, who's, you know, 6'4", 230 pounds said, <laughs> mom, do you want your cat? I said, well, yeah. So I didn't think before I spoke. Next thing I know, they're in a car going over to cat, you know, to kidnap a cat. Love it. Um, so it's, yeah, it was, it was, it was a beautiful story. I think we that's still great. laugh about it. But I anyway, so coming yeah. home to my cat, you know, um, Weeks would go by and I'd never even turn on the TV or I would 
I felt like eating a bowl of cereal for dinner, that's what I had. Wow. If I wanted to grill, I did. If, and if you wanted to leave that bowl on the counter, I didn't you do could that. do that. <laughs> oh, right, forgot you. Perfectionism. Perfectionism. But there yeah. is a freedom in that. I forgot yes, that you you're you're right. you would not do that. You I, or I was going to say, no, that's yeah. the ingrained. That's the marine dad. It's yeah. so ingrained in you. It's Very probably, it's probably not even a need. It's just like a rote muscle memory wash the dish. You probably don't remember remember washing the dish. Right. Totally not. Did when you salute back, afterward? You know, <laughs> you know, coming back in the house after, you know, after work, coming in and going, wow, was the maid here today? No, I left it that way. <laughs> oh, 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 right. That's great. Right. That's to answer great. this quick but, question, yeah. perfectionism, I still, does that mean that you do things perfectly all the time or that you wish you could do things perfectly all the time? You strive to do things perfectly. Okay. But it's the motive behind it that's the problem. Okay. Yeah. It's so that no one, when you have a lot of blame inside of you, like you think that whatever's happening is because of you. You have to control everything going on around you. You need people to not see who you are. It right. is a blanket over you. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Because if someone sees you, that they'll reject you, that you'll get hurt. You'll be, you'll no longer mm-hmm. be the only role she has, which is golden child. And so it's a huge blanket on you. You'll never right. get to know that person because they don't know who they are. So that's why I'm so glad you're speaking so openly, honestly about yeah. it. Because it will keep someone so far away from from who God says they are and you won't even know it yeah because people encourage it right yeah right all right yep but I learned self-care through that time and that's and I drew took that time to grow closer and closer to God yeah and really learn to love myself yeah Um, amen and you know my relationship with God just grew so much, and it was in the quiet time, and you know, and the reflection. And I've always been a writer and a journaler, so, you know, I've just always done that. And I went back and read a lot of old journals, and you know, you look back and you're like, oh my, <laughs> like, was that hard? <laughs> was it like, di- or oh, was yeah. it? Yeah, it was. But it's it's hard, but it's healing because yeah. you know what? I found peace in how far I have come. I was able to see how far. I have come right, right and and give God the glory yeah, because amen. it was him who pulled me from the ashes yeah. and uh, you know it was when I started to love myself that I could then receive love and uh, I met a wonderful man of course you know I made another deal with God so it was you know <laughs> um, don't <laughs> you know don't let him walk past me if he's not a God loving God fearing church going man um, because you know I'm a crap, I can be a crap magnet, so don't even let them walk past <laughs> me. Crap magnet, I like that. I almost said the S word. That's so. that's yeah, but okay. you know, I, I just prayed about it, and I said, you know what, God, I, I was literally happy by myself. I mean, I really liked it. Yeah. And there, and I was comfortable. Right. But I think that's part of self-loving, and that that's part of reaching that place when you can be comfortable by yourself and yes. happy by yourself yes. and mm-hmm. love yourself you know, to enjoy it, enough mm-hmm. to enjoy it, you've arrived. Yes. Right. Now yes. you can receive love and, and right. give love back in a right. healthy right. way. You love yourself enough that you're yes. letting someone else truly love you. Right. Yes. Be genuine. Well, God yeah. sent me an angel. Yeah. And it, it was Kevin. Like it. And uh, he is my partner in Christ. Oh. Mm, we good. got married uh, to be two years ago in September. Yes. Yeah. And um, it's, it's glorious. Yeah, it's it great. Is. Yeah. yeah, if people wanted to keep in touch with you, we're, I know yep. you're republishing your book. I am. 
So I any information that. about your book, any information about you that people, because if they're still hungry for more, yeah. what would be your suggestions? Absolutely. They can find me at Ron Marie Bloom, B-L-U-H-M, and Ron Marie is all one word, um, on Facebook, and Ron Marie underscore Bloom on Instagram. And my book is Rising Up from Broken to Beautiful. That's great. And Perfect it will, title. Yeah, it'll be back out um, October-ish sometime. Okay, so oh, soon. That's Very soon. Yeah, yeah that's, that's great. Soon. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you thank very you. much, Emily, LJ. Thank you all for being so authentic and being a part of what we're doing. Thank you, listeners. There's no point in doing this if you're not a part of this with us. So thank you very much. And if you need more resources when it comes to narcissism, domestic violence, perfectionism, please go to ictalks.org. Go to the resource tab, and we hope you will find a step to your answer there. Thank you.